0: The mind is a broken thing. It runs, races, and paces, taking me places that consume me, distract me, and tempt me to believe that I'm not good enough, no, never will be. You've got to strive to survive, to thrive, to stay alive in this world of ever changing, evolving ideals, images, idols, and icons. You have to work for your worth, clean yourself up, do more, do better, don't show weakness, be tough, try to be enough, collect piles of treasures, trinkets, and stuff. Maybe then you'll be loved. Yes, the mind is a broken thing. If unguarded and let loose, it can attack you and snatch you and trap you, leaving you stuck, self-obsessed, asleep, and enslaved. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your mind doesn't have to be out of control. These thoughts and loops and cycles can stop. You're not left unarmed. You have a tool to interrupt the racing and pacing, list-making, restless, unending, repeating, defeating distracting, disorienting, consuming, controlling thoughts. Yes, you can interrupt the fight against the lies, the arrows that fly in the darkness of night. The arrows from the enemy that fly in the darkness of night, they are coming for you, but they don't want to be realized. You have the word, you have the light, you have life. Wake up from your twisted perspective that keeps you despairingly focused on yourself. Instead, fix your eyes to see and know and understand what really matters. You are not a victim of your own mind because if you're in Christ, you have victory A God who loves you, knows you, sees you, has shown you a love so radical, intimate, personal, and wild that he would painfully lose a child to reconcile all mankind while we were still sinners. Christ died. It's hard to fully grasp the vastness of his steadfastness, his mercy and his grace that move past any mistakes that you or I have made to pull us from the pit that we were once in. And if you truly knew him, you would love him. You would believe him and you would kill any seed of a thought that would twist and thwart and take your mind from whatever is true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable. Yes, the mind is a broken thing, but God's spirit dwells deeper. His words ring truer for in Christ, we are free. We are free. We are free. free. I found that reading in a book that I was working through to prepare for this series. And I'm not a spoken word poet, but I hope as I read those words, they resonated with something deep inside of you. Because for me, when I read that poem, the two words that came to mind were me too. Me too. I have battled with those thoughts. I have felt trapped in that kind of reality. I have felt defeated and discouraged because of that very experience. And I've heard from so many of you over the last few weeks who've said that you can relate too. So many of us are working through and battling challenges when it comes to our minds during this time. But I love that the poem doesn't just talk about the mind being a broken thing. I love the poem doesn't just tell the story of our mental struggles because it's not just the two words of me too that I thought of as I was reading those words, but these two words too, but God. Because latent within the stanzas of that poem is a hope that says, yes, the mind is a broken thing, but it is also a beautiful thing because it was made by God, it's been redeemed by God, and it's been set free by God. And so we are not victims of our thoughts. We're not victims of our broken minds, and we are free. And my hope is, is that over these few weeks in September and October, as we work through this series called Mastermind, renewing our minds and transforming our lives, that you wouldn't just get more honest about the battle you're facing in your mind, but you would begin to taste and see that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and his resurrection— has given us a living hope, as Jordan and the team so powerfully led us to think about earlier. That we have a living hope that says we are not our struggles, we are not our dysfunctions, we are not our diagnoses, we are free. And while we may not experience total and complete freedom, this side of heaven— we have a living hope that the way we struggle today doesn't have to be the way we struggle forever. And so if you're somebody in this year who has wrestled with worry, anxiety, or other more serious mental health challenges, I hope today is a message that hits home for you. Because here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's our big idea. That in order to overcome worry and despair, we need to practice a meditation mindset. In order to overcome worry and despair, which I think are very normal and widespread experiences in 2020, we need to practice a meditation mindset. We need to take seriously the calling the scriptures give us, to meditate and focus our minds. And so today, what I want to do in the time we have is share with you three ways that we can overcome worry and despair. And the first way is rooted in a passage of Scripture that's near and dear to my heart. That's Romans chapter 8. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I'd encourage you to open your Bible up, turn it on, or just type this into Google and you'll find the right place. Romans is a, a book written by Paul. It's his longest, some say most dense book. It's rich with really great theology. It's nestled between Acts and 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible because it reminds us about who God says we are and the difference that claiming and developing that identity can make for us. And here's what Paul says beginning in Romans 8, 5. He says, "...for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh." But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Paul's saying to his audience, the church in Rome, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and this is like a rhetorical if, Paul's saying, if he does, if he does, because he does then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. The first way that we can overcome worry and despair is this. We can align our mindset with our new identity. We can begin to align our mindset and perspective with our new identity and who Christ says we are. now I told you that in Romans 8, Paul spends a, a tremendous amount of time unpacking who we are in Christ. Who we are once we have a relationship with Jesus and we are made new. And one of the reasons that Romans 8 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture is that one of the struggles that I've faced, I think because of how God wired me, because of how Satan and our spiritual enemy forces attack me, I've wrestled with insecurity on and off for my whole life. And so Romans 8 is a great place for me to go again and again, because it reminds me of who God says I am. And in Romans 8, 5 through 11, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting the mind that is set on the Holy Spirit and the things of the spirit, and the mind that is set on the things of the flesh. Now, all of us literally have flesh. You could grab it right here. We have a body, but in the scriptures, the flesh is is a metaphor or a symbol for our sinful, broken selves. And when we're living in the flesh, The writers of Scripture are pointing us that we're living and walking in our sin and our brokenness. And we're living in the Spirit. We're living true to who God redeemed us to be and wants to help us to grow to become. And a great contrast of life in the Spirit and life in the flesh is found in another book that Paul wrote called Galatians, where he contrasts the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In that passage, he says, this is the fruit of the flesh. This is what the flesh and the mindset on the flesh looks like. He makes a list. He says, the fruit of of mindset on the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And so when our mind is set on the flesh, this is the the fruit of that. This is what comes out of that. Sometimes it's hard hard to identify what the mind set on the flesh looks like, but the outcome, the fruit of it is really easy to see. And Paul says it's this list right here from Galatians 5. And we see so many of these things in the world today, not just the sins I think the church often talks about when it comes to sexuality and drunkenness, but these other things that are happening all throughout 2020. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, dissension, division, envy. I just described your Facebook feed that you were on earlier this morning, you know? That's the fruit of the mindset on the flesh. But he said, this is the mind, the fruit of the mindset on the spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And in contrasting these two together, the differences are stark. And what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 5 through 11, he isn't saying, hey, will yourself to become more loving and more patient and more faithful and more self-controlled. What he's saying is set your mind on the Spirit, And allow God's spirit that's now alive and at work in you to align who God says you are with how you think. And as you do that, God is the one who will work in your life to bring more love and more joy and more peace out of you. One of the temptations that I face, because I've shared that I struggle with insecurity— One of the questions that that I face when I'm wrestling with that is this question of who do you think you are? If you've ever battled insecurity, you know this question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to do that? Who do you think you are to step into that? Who do you think you are to try that? Who do you think you are to claim that? Who do you think you are to, to be bold with that? And that question that comes to me, who do you think you are, when I have my mind set on the Spirit, and I'm aligning my mindset with my identity, you know how I reply to that question? You know how I would encourage you to reply to that question? With this. I am everything Jesus says I am. So when that voice comes in my head and says, hey, Scott, who do you think you are to step out and lead and be bold and, and be courageous during this time? Who do you think you are to be capable of leading through a pandemic which nobody trained you for? You know what I say? I'm everything Jesus says I am. And he says that I am the person that he is called to do that. And friends, that kind of outcome is connected to our identity. What we do flows out of who we are. Our actions are a manifestation of what we believe about ourselves. Our activity is proceeds from our identity. And if you're somebody who's wrestled with worry or anxiety or despair or fear or insecurity during this time, Paul would say, hey, you could spend your time on trying to fix all those things out there, or you could begin by claiming your identity in Christ and begin to align that with how you see yourself and how you see the world. And I will tell you that the work that I continue to do in my own life, just as a follower of Jesus and a man, to claim and develop my God-given identity, to claim and develop who Christ says I am, to claim that phrase, I am everything Jesus says I am, that has been a place that has allowed me to experience more victory when it comes to these mental battles. And so if you're somebody who struggles with this, as Pastor Josh mentioned, we've created a number of resources for you at prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind. In fact, there are two, when you go on that page under week three resources, and today is week three in the series, there's two resources that I put there last night to help you if you're battling insecurity to align your mindset with your new identity. And I'd encourage you to go there once we're done if you want to take a next step in that area but we're not done yet. That's the first way that we overcome worry and despair. We align our mindset with our new identity. But Paul goes on in another passage to tell us even more about what we can do, and that's in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is further into the New Testament than Romans. It's in between two books, Ephesians and Colossians. And a little bit of nostalgia, four years ago, I came to be pastor of Cornerstone, and the first extended series we did in the fall of 2016 was a series on Philippians. And it's, it's a great book about hope in the midst of dark times. It's incredibly relevant four years later as we're living through 2020. And in this passage, here's what Paul does. He gives us another way to overcome worry and despair. He shows us that we can meditate on things that protect our peace. And so if you're wrestling with worry and despair today, I want to encourage you that you have the power to choose to meditate on things that protect your peace. And here's a conviction that I have that I just want to share with you today. I think that we don't think enough about what we think about. Let me say that again. We don't think enough about... What we think about. We all have thoughts running through our head on any given day. But I don't think that we're thinking enough about what we're thinking about. And as a result, we're kind of just passive, a little bit like victims to whatever comes in our head on any given day. And in this passage in Philippians 4, Paul is going to challenge us to be proactive in choosing where our mindset goes In order to protect the peace of God on earth. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, now what Paul is saying is that worry is going to happen to us. We're going to have temptation and opportunity to worry all the time. He just assumes that. But he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love what Tony Evans says in his commentary about this verse. He says, every time we begin to worry, we should see that as a call from God telling us it's time to pray. So when you feel worry, and you will have an opportunity to worry today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day, you'll have an opportunity to worry. When you begin to worry— use that like an alarm that goes off and says, hey, it's time to pray. Worry is actually a call from God to say, hey, let's talk about this. And in this passage, Paul describes the four parts that conversation should include. Prayer. Now, let me say this about prayer. For some of us, we think of prayer as what happens between dear God and amen. And if that's your view of prayer— you have, and I mean this in all love, a selfish, narcissistic view of prayer. Because prayer isn't just talking to God. Prayer is also listening. And if your prayer life is just you talking without silence, friend, there's no space for God to respond. It's a monologue when God designed it to be a dialogue. Prayer is that relationship we have with God, that ongoing conversation with him. He says, so with prayer and petition, when I bring a petition, I'm bringing a request, I'm bringing a need, I'm bringing an opportunity to someone. So he says, hey, have this ongoing dialogue with God, bring him your needs with thanksgiving, now, we're not presuming on God or being entitled with God, presuming that, hey, God is going to do what we think he will do. Because if you've been praying for any period of time, you know that's not how it works. God does not always answer your prayers the way you think he should. And Garth Brooks has the classic song that, it, that embodies this, the, the unanswered prayer song. But, but he says, hey, thank God that you can come to him in prayer. Thank God that he knows what's best for you. And thank God that he's going to respond to your prayer in the way that God sees fit. And then bring your requests. Bring your specific requests. And here's something I, I want to encourage you with today. I don't think we pray as specifically as we can or we should. I think a lot of times we settle for generic general prayers. Instead of specifically talking about a need a person has, we generally pray for them. Instead of telling God specifically what we want him to do and what our need is, we keep things general. And the reason why I think we do that is we're afraid that if we pray too specifically, God won't answer that request. So we keep things general so that we have less risk of disappointment. And I want to encourage you that Paul is saying here to bring with petition your request to God. Get specific about what you want God to do. He, he continues in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what, what Paul is describing here is the peace of God, which is different than peace with God. I'm going to kind of parse some words here. See, every believer in Jesus is guaranteed peace with God through salvation in Christ. In our world, there is a lot of of peace being absent. But in a moment, when you begin a relationship with God, when you put your faith in Him, you can have peace with God like that. You can be reconciled to God and made right with God like that. And every believer is guaranteed peace with God through salvation in Christ. However, not every believer continually experiences the peace of God in their life. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you know that there have been seasons in your life where you didn't feel peace at all. And there's a reason why. See, Paul says in this passage, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The word he's using for guard is the same word that was used in Greek, the language he was speaking, to describe a Roman garrison, a collection of Roman soldiers who might be sent to guard a town. And so if you can imagine in your mind like an ancient castle or a walled city and there are Roman soldiers guarding that wall, that's what he's saying the peace of God does in our life. And the peace of God will guard your heart and minds. You go, Scott, if that's true, why do I so often not feel at peace? Here's the problem. We're often our own worst enemies in this process. And there's a guard there. But when we focus our mind and meditate on things and go down the path of worry and despair, it's like opening the back door and letting the enemy in. And many of us don't experience that ongoing peace of God because we're choosing to meditate and fixate on things that undo that peace and lead us away from it. This is why Paul says at the end of this passage in Philippians 4, So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell—your Bible may say meditate—on these things— Do what you've learned and received from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying that we can choose where our focus goes and what our mind dwells on. And for many of us, what our mind dwells on is not this list right here. For many of us, our days are spent focusing on the opposite of what's true, the opposite of what's honorable, the opposite of what's just, the opposite of what's pure, the opposite of what's lovely, the opposite of what's commendable, the opposite of things that are excellent or praiseworthy. And when we focus on those things, is it any wonder that our lives lack peace? Because as our mind goes so we go. In the the ancient book of of Proverbs, the writer said, guard your heart and mind for it is the wellspring of life. One translation says, guard your heart for your whole life flows from it. And the, the, the things that we've learned about the mind in recent years, I think in the scriptures are often described as things associated in the Hebrew worldview as the heart. And so when we let these things in our mind and we focus our minds on these things, is it any wonder that our lives are marked not by the fruit of the Spirit, but by the fruit of anxiety, worry, despair, and fear? I've learned a lot about the mind in this series. And one of the things that's helped me to do that is Jenny Allen's book, Get Out of Your Head. That's the book that the poem I read at the beginning of the service came from. And in Jenny's New York Times best-selling book, she, did, she outlined some research about the mind that I think is going to blow your mind today. She says that she's learned that each of us have anywhere from 9,000 to 60,000 thoughts in a given day. You go, Scott, that, that's a pretty wide range. Well, some of us have more thoughts than others. Some days you have more thoughts than other days. But on a given day, the average human has nine to 60,000 thoughts. Here's where my mind started getting blown, though. She shared that of those thoughts... 70 plus percent are negative. Some research that she shared pushes that number all the way to 85%. The vast majority of our thoughts are negative. But here's the even bigger mind-blowing piece. 95% of those thoughts are repetitive from the day before. Friends, according to that research, 70% 70% of your thoughts in a given day are negative, and 95% of those 70% were the same negative thoughts you had yesterday. And without attention or God's intervention, that pattern of negativity will continue to tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that's why Paul says we have to learn to filter our thoughts In the same way that you should change one of these out in your house every three months to keep your air clean coming in, we need to filter our thoughts. And Paul gives us a filter. And it's these things. He says, these are the things that you should meditate and focus on. These are the things you should dwell on. These are the things that should consume your mind because when your mind is focused on those things, the fruit that's born out of your life, begins to reflect that fruit of the Spirit. And when we focus on the opposite of these things, our lives show the fruit of the flesh. And so Paul says, hey, you want to overcome worry and despair? Begin to take seriously the choice and agency you have to meditate on things that bring you life. Paul's not done, though. Jesus actually is here. This isn't Paul, by the way. During his most famous teaching, Jesus talked about worry. Here's what he says. He says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's the third way that you can overcome worry and despair. We can view our experience with worrying as training for meditation. We can view all of the experience we have with worrying. And some of you, you're like an Olympic athlete when it comes to worrying. You've spent thousands of hours training your brain to worry. And guess what? All of that experience with worrying is actually training for meditation. You go, Scott, that doesn't make sense. Let me explain it to you using the words of Rick Warren. He says, worry is focused thinking on something negative. Meditation is doing the same thing, only focusing on God's word instead of your problem. And so if you've been worrying constantly for years, it's a problem, but it's also an opportunity because the same muscle you've been using to worry can be redirected to meditate. Let me explain this to you. What is worry? Worry is filling the mind with a certain type of thought or scenario. It's fixating the mind on that potential dangerous negative event. It begins to show up in feelings in your body because worry isn't just a mental experience. Worry affects our entire physicality. And ultimately what worry does is it leads us to freeze. Worry paralyzes you. But here's what meditation is. It's filling your mind. It's filling your mind with things that are true and honorable and noble and worthy and pure and commendable and praiseworthy. It's fixating your mind on those things to the point that you begin to feel it in your body. And ultimately, instead of leading you to freeze, it leads you to freedom. Now, I know some of you are like, Scott, I'm uncomfortable with the word meditate. I just need you to know, before meditation was a popular thing in America for people who were into Eastern mysticism and spirituality, it was there in the pages of the Old Testament with God calling his people to meditate on his precepts. With David in the Psalms talking about, God, I delight in your word and I meditate on it day and night. And here in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is saying these things Dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. We've created a number of resources for you to help you begin to develop a meditation mindset and begin to practice this. And again, they're available at prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind.
1: All right. So we are here with the Q&A time. It's been a little while since I've been here. It's okay. But excited to be back. So you typically end with next steps. that mm-hmm. gives the listener and our, ourselves some practical ways that we can implement what you have talked about. So do you have any of those next steps or any practical things that we can do
0: to actually apply this message? I do. And if you're uh, continuing to go on our website, PrescottCornerStorm.com live, there's a link there to the sermon notes and these are there. So let's start with the first next step today. That first next step is this. We want to encourage you to review your new identity daily. And so with that identity piece, many of us are are so much more familiar with our insecurities than we are what Christ says about us, that it's going to take consistency. It isn't just hearing me talk about it on Sunday for 30 minutes. that's going to change the way that you relate to your insecurities. It's going to take a daily habit. And so we created a really cool tool for you this week. It's called the five-day guide to reviewing your identity in Christ. It's available on that resource page you mentioned, prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind. And when you go on that page, you'll see a section that says week three resources. And underneath that, you'll see this five-day guide. And what it does is it gives you something to do each day for five days to build your own understanding, your own list from scripture of who God says you are, and then it challenges you to take steps on a daily basis to practice that and review that in the morning before anything else comes in. And so what I find, Josh, is that on those days where I can start with that, um, then I can at least start with God's, God's voice and who God says I am being the first thing I hear before I turn on my phone or the news or I read email and I hear what other people think about me. So that's the first thing. The second thing we want to talk to you about here, the second next step, if we can get that slide, number two, is to pray specific prayers. I talked about this in a section on uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. I just want to encourage you that I, th- I think the temptation at times is to pray generally out of fear that God's not going to answer the specific prayer. We kind of just pull back as a way to kind of save ourselves from disappointment. But but God wants us to come to him. Philippians 4 says this. Hebrews 4, the end of us, says this. We're invited with confidence to come to God's presence with our burdens, with our requests specifically. And if it's enough, honestly, for you to worry about, it's something that God wants to hear from you about. So that's number two. And then number three, is is we want to encourage you to set aside three to five minutes a day for a new meditation practice. And so meditation is something for a lot of us that we don't have a whole lot of practice with. And so I'd encourage you to start small. And again, on that resource page, we have several um, resources for you. We've got a PDF that walks you through an exercise. We've got a couple of apps for your phone. One is free and one does cost something that will help you practice meditation from a Christian mindset. And so hopefully those will help you begin to kind of start that ball rolling. And um, for me, it's, it's something I'm working on. I'm not good at it. Uh, but I, I know it's important, so I'm talking about it, and I'm trying to get better.
1: Awesome. That's all really good stuff. Now, you just mentioned Christian meditation. Mm-hmm. I was in Sedona this past weekend with my wife, and we po- walked past I don't know how many psychic and meditation centers. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between something like that that's not Christian mm-hmm. and then Christian meditation?
0: Yeah, so meditation is a huge industry in America. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry. Uh, one study I read uh, for this series says that 40% of Americans – claim to do some sort of meditation on a monthly basis. Um, but Christian meditation is, is unique in that it's not about us emptying ourselves to go deeper within ourselves to find ourselves. It's about us filling ourselves uh, with the truth of God and finding in God that peace. So meditation in that kind of non-Christian sense often looks within ourselves for the answer, but we know our answer for hope and life and faith. And peace is found in Christ. And so it's meditating, focusing our mind on Christ, often on scripture or through prayer and allowing that to bring peace in our lives. And meditation is present throughout the scriptures all the way back in the, the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the law. You know, Moses calls the people to meditate. David, throughout the Psalms, is talking about how he's meditating on God's word. And then, again, in Philippians 4, Paul is calling us to meditate. So meditation is a, a, a rooted in scripture idea, but the practice of it looks different um, than a lot of the meditation uh, that's happening out there.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Now, in the big idea, you mentioned um, overcoming worry. Mm-hmm. Is worry a sin?
0: I think so. I mean, uh, if Paul is saying do not worry, uh, if Jesus is saying do not worry, then I think it classifies in that category of sin because I think what worry is, it's taking a role that is God's by hoping and working in our mind to find a way to prevent something from happening. And Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of itself. And God is the only one who's actually already in tomorrow and knows tomorrow. And he's sovereign over it, and he's going to walk with us into it. And when, at least for me, when I worry, what I find is I find myself living in tomorrow, trying to have the power that only God has. And so um, I think that that worries that we all struggle with. It's not, you know, a sin that says, hey, you're outside of God's plan. You're outside of his forgiveness. You know, th- there's, there's grace for that. Um, but I do think it, it puts us in a place that's not ours to, to be in it. I mean, God's place. And it pulls us some away from what God uh, wants us to do and wh- how he wants us to live. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's the path that God has for us to walk. And so that often gets classified in the church as sin.
1: Yeah, totally agree. This kind of ties into that a little bit. But, um, you know, one of the questions that came in says, can worry sometimes be good? Is it maybe a prompt of something that we have needed to do that we haven't, or something that God wants us to do. So that,
0: I mean, that would be, I would use the word conviction for that, that God is bringing conviction in our heart, showing us, hey, this is something that you didn't do. This is something that you should do. Um, And again, as as Tony Evans said, you know, worrying is an invitation to prayer. So when I get on the path of worrying, I can go down that path, and it'll lead me away from peace. Or I can pause the worry and go, you know what? instead of worrying and being anxious about this, I'm going to choose to pray and I'm going to choose to surrender and I'm going to choose to walk towards peace. And again, I just think any practice that leads us away from the peace of God or any practice that compromises the peace of God in our life is not a path we should walk. Um, Because God has promised that he wants to protect and guard that peace, um, but it's going to take our cooperation by focusing our mind with him.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. <laughs> uh, you know, you talked about prayer quite a bit too. And, and somebody asked, what's the difference between petition and requests?
0: It's, it's a nuanced um, difference. And so I, I, I don't remember because I wasn't using my notes exactly what I said, but the main difference is a petition is is a a request, often an urgent request you bring to some authority figure, um, whereas a a request is just anything general that you're asking. And so there is a a nuance, but what Paul said there is with prayer and petition. So talking to God, interacting with him and, and petition, bringing that urgent request with him with thanksgiving, take your requests to him so in some ways i think he's stating something a little bit differently there but he's reaffirming the same thing god wants to have a relationship with us where on an ongoing basis we're talking with him we're listening with him we're bringing things to him that are important and urgent to us and we're thanking him in that that we can come to him and that he actually cares more about that thing and us than we do so
1: awesome all right, just got a couple more. Okay. So in, in the message, you talked about being disappointed with God. So that kind of raises a question. Can we actually be disappointed with God? Doesn't that imply like God did
0: something wrong? Well, um, so the scriptures would tell us that God is perfect, and so he's incapable of of sin. But I think many times disappointment is rooted to our expectations. So if you disappointed me, Josh, that's probably because I had an expectation of you didn't meet. And I'll just tell you, God is not going to— Always meet your expectations. And from that basic, simple level, I think it is possible to be disappointed with God, not because he did something wrong, but because we had an expectation of him that wasn't who he is or what he wanted to do. And the scriptures tell us our thoughts aren't his thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. And so I think that means there's going to be a gap we're going to have to navigate.
1: Yeah. Amen to that. And I see some other questions coming in. We want to let you guys know, if we don't get to them at this service, we're probably going to get to them at the second service. So tune in, at least if you're watching here to the latter part of the second service, if you haven't heard your question coming in, this is really encouraging because I think we're getting more questions. I love than it before. Thank you guys. But, um, you know, we're kind of running, running out of time here. So Scott, do you have anything else that you want to close with? Anything you want to share with in light of this series? It's been a really powerful series so far. So any last words for today?
0: Yeah, I would say two things. One, if if you're wrestling with what i would call um uh little um uh, little m Mental struggles, so that there's not a clinical diagnosis for you or whatever, I think that there is an opportunity here for you to take seriously the power you have to choose your thoughts and choose your response if you're wrestling with something that's a serious mental health issue, you've been diagnosed with that. I want to encourage you that, that God has given you uh, the power to take your thoughts captive, uh, but I want to encourage you that, that what I'm sharing with you today does not replace seeing a mental health professional it doesn't replace the way that god might use some actual medication in your life and i just want to encourage you i got this question from somebody else in this series i don't believe the scriptures tell us that god is opposed to him using medicine to bring healing and freedom in our lives and so i, I don't want to say hey just listen to Scott's sermon and skip your session with your psychologist and skip your you know your medication that you're on today it's not what we're saying um but i want to hope hopefully everybody no matter where you are in mental challenges in this era hopefully this series is helping encourage you so
1: awesome well thank you scott really appreciate that and thank you guys for tuning in again if you have any questions you can text those questions to 928-288-5490 and uh, we'll be doing this again after the second service so we look forward to that pray you guys have a blessed week take care see ya